All right, hi, ladies. It's like I felt like everybody migrated away from the front. Promise I won't choose anyone to come up and be an example. Uh, We are talking about emotions today. So the great thing about when everyone walked in this room, there's something we all have in common. Everybody has them. What you do with them is different. (laughs) How you feel about them is probably different, but everybody has them. And so we're going to talk today about how to consider the emotional health of your home. Wow. (laughs) Apparently that was like an accent moment. Uh, We... I want to, as we've talked and prepared for today, there's something I want you to know. This is a really, really complicated topic. It's a really easy thing to experience, but it's a really complicated thing to unpack. And we are not going to cover all the ground. I'm now convinced we need about a four-week class to be able to talk about everything. So Lee and I have done everything we can to whittle down all the information that we had into like little sections. And we hope that you walk away with stuff that you can use to apply to yourself and to your kids. We are not going to cover all the things like past trauma, your current stressors, chemical imbalances, family history, your habits. Like there's just so much. And so I want you to know we're going to do the best we can to make this simple and that there'll be things that you can apply, but just know that we're not diving into all the depths. So if you're here today and you feel like you're living in the depths of those emotions and we don't cover those, will you please let us know at the end? Let your table leader know, let someone in your group know. We don't want you to feel like we just went like this over the top of you and you don't feel seen. We know everybody in here has a story and everybody in here has history that's impacting what you're going to hear today. So I am not going to claim to be an expert, but I am going to tell you that I am a deep, deep, deep feeler. I have emotions like a crazy person, which is why I told her to let you know I'm crazy. So emotions are something I'm very, um, have a love-hate relationship with them. And I am definitely going to be on one of the extremes that we're going to talk about. And so I'm an expert on experiencing them, but no way are we going to claim that we have this thing all figured out. So Here we go. Webster. Oh, and I'm going to tell you this. This right here is also going to feel really overwhelming. And I made the PowerPoint error that I put too many words on one slide. So everything you have in this packet, all the verses are going to look pretty crazy up there, but it's all in here because I want you to leave with every verse. And I know if you're anything like me, if the reference was just there, you would never go back and read it. So I put all the verse on there that I'm going to talk about. So you have everything in your packet. Okay. And then you'll see the slides up here and they'll match. So Webster's revised unabridged dictionary. Did y'all know there was such a thing back in 1913? Defined emotions like this. And so it says, one, they're a moving of the mind or soul. So emotions move us. And two, it's an excitement of the feelings, whether pleasing or painful. Something I want us to change how we think about emotions is we think about emotions as good and bad. And you need to erase that from your mind. Emotions just are. Okay? Emotions are neutral. Anger is just anger. Happiness is just happiness. Sadness is just sadness. I'm excited. I'm just excited. Like those things in and of themselves are neutral, but they do have a certain feeling that comes with them. So if I'm angry, we're going to call that a painful emotion. Sadness is painful. Happiness, excitement, those are pleasurable. So you, y'all see what I'm saying? Okay. So forget good and bad. Just think pleasing or painful. Now the Latin words, which I'm not going to try to say them, but where the word emotion came from was to move. And then French, that word was to stir up. So emotion, somebody thought that's a really genius way to do that. So the word motion is in there. So emotions move us. Now, the first one on your page where it says emotions are, that first blank, 
is that emotions are God-given. So it'll go up there in just a second. So emotions are God-given. God created us to be emotional, relational beings just like himself. So if you read through scripture, it doesn't take long for you to see that God himself has emotion. Anger, compassion, grief, love, hate, jealousy, joy. So our God is not up there neutral. He's not up there flat with zero emotion. God has emotion. And then in his holy, in his emotions are holy and perfect. So if you see in Psalm 1830, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Isaiah 6, 3 says, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. James 1, 17, everything given in every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So not only is God holy and perfect, but his emotions don't change. How many of you in here can say your emotions never change? You're always consistent. When you're angry, everyone in your life knows exactly why you're angry. When you're happy, everyone knows exactly why you're happy. Anybody? No, me either. Okay, so his emotions are consistent. And y'all know what's crazy? God never has a bad day. And I think that's pretty awesome. When I was writing this stuff, I was like, man, we get to go to a God that we don't have to wonder what side of the bed he woke up on. You know, like he's consistent. And so everything we're about to talk about is everything we're about to plant into is a God who's consistent, holy, and perfect. And that's a comforting, comforting thing when it comes to us who are not so much like that. So he created us in his image. Genesis 1, 27. That's not on your paper if you want to write on there. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So Genesis 1, 27. But when the fall happened, so God planted Adam and Eve in the garden. The garden was, Adam and Eve were not perfect. Okay, so I think a lot of times we say Adam and Eve were perfect. They were not perfect because they, had the, they were good and they were innocent, but they weren't perfect. If they were perfect, they never would have chosen to disobey the Lord. Okay? Now, sin was also present in the garden because serpent who shows up. So sin didn't all of a sudden appear when Eve ate the apple. Sin already existed. Okay? But what happened was these people who were innocent, who all they knew was a God in his relationship, chose to eat from the apple and good and evil their eyes were open. And so then all of a sudden, these people who had emotions with a perfect God and everything was innocent, it broke. Okay, the world broke at that point, And so did how we deal with our emotions. Now, ladies, there's something else we all have in common. I am now going to become known because this is the second time I've done this. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about poop. Now, how many of y'all know who Bruce Kendrick is? He spoke last weekend. When I told him this analogy I was going to use, he said, please don't do it, Suzanne. It's going to be horrible. So if you have complaints with my next analogy, you're welcome to email him and tell him all about it, okay? If you think it's great, I actually wouldn't mind if you told him that too, because I said, hey, I'm pretty sure how many of you in here have dealt with poop in the last 24 hours? I mean, how many of you have dealt with poop you weren't excited about in the last 24 hours, right? Okay, so here's what I want you to know. As we were researching to get ready for this and we're thinking, what is a really great picture for our emotions? Y'all, I found this. This is called the poop troop. Now, that is really disturbing for some of you, and I'm really sorry. But some of you who can handle it, what I want you to do, please don't do it right now. Just write poop troop on your paper. Later, download the app. Okay? Hashtag, and it's called 
They would put on there, hashtag combat constipation. Not kidding. Okay, anyway, I'm not going to make you live with those guys for super long, but the next slide is what we're going to talk about. So our emotions, most of us go to two extremes, okay? We either live where we are stuffers. We take our emotions and we cram those suckers down as far as we can go and we ignore them and we avoid them and we do everything we can. Those people are that guy over there on the, your left. Not, and that's not great. We're going to call him constipation. So stuffing, constipation. Y'all follow me here? Okay. On the other extreme, we have junkies. So people who feel their emotions. It's all out there. You are not questioning how they feel in their certain day. And we're going to call those guys... They got some emotional diarrhea, okay? Everybody follow me? I'm really sorry. I know some of y'all are dying right now that I'm doing this. But that guy also, you're welcome, drips. And so, but he doesn't on y'all's screen. Okay, so stuffers harm themselves. I don't know if y'all know, but God set our bodies up. This is so crazy to me. He set up our bodies to show us what's going on on the inside, okay? He showed us that whenever we eat healthy, when we're not stressed, what happens? Our poop actually comes out well. When we are stressed out, when we're not drinking water, when we're not doing well, things don't go so smoothly, correct? Okay, so if you don't poop, do you know you will die? Literally, literally you'll die, okay? So if you don't deal with your emotions and all you do is stuff them, you are going to harm yourself. You are being very self-focused. You are concealing them. You are, we're probably taught, just get it up. You're going to do fine. You also are very self-sufficient and you avoid and ignore them. But if you're a other friend, which I, this is my end, I'm, I'm the junkie. I harm others because I'm just like, you know, you just deal with how I feel. And I just felt all over you and leave you to deal with it. All right. I'm also self-focused because again, it's all about me. I condone my actions because it's like, ah, whatever. I felt it. You should have to deal with it. All right. I gush. I know. Y'all, it's horrible, isn't it? Okay. Gosh, I'm also being self-sufficient and I abandon and indulge. Okay. Are y'all with me right now? Okay, great. So we got the two extremes. Some of you are dying to understand. Okay. Remember, Bruce Kendrick, just let him know. Okay. So, but those of us who are healthy, those of us who actually deal with our emotions and who do what God intended them to do with them, we honor the Lord. We're God-focused. We confess when they don't honor the Lord. We live under God's grace, we live under God's sufficiency, and we acknowledge and we entrust the Lord, okay? So that's kind of where we're going. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to sit at your table time for just a second. I think I completely skipped over. Somehow. I lost an entire page. Hold on. Hold on. Where did it go? Y'all. So what happens when you jump way ahead on your deal. Okay, back up. So sorry. Um, but that's okay. This will fit just fine. Okay, so that's us. Our emotions are broken. But here's what's super great. Jesus came for us. So there's a reason why it went out of order. So Jesus came to deal with all of that and to help us be healthy. Okay, so he has his emotions. He wept, felt compassion. He, was, he is God. So he had emotions just like him. Now, a part of God's grace to allow us to move over to that healthy part is he gave us Jesus who became fully man. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Do you know what? Jesus was tempted to be angry sinfully, but he chose not to. 
He was tempted to be hurt. And so it's not that he didn't feel the pain, but he didn't act out in sin. Does that make sense how it's different? He felt all the things we feel, because remember, emotions are neutral, but he didn't sin in them. So God's emotions are holy and perfect, but they, and they aren't, in, they're incorruptible. And so the second part of Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 said, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. All of us have needs in our emotions, and this is something that we can take to Jesus and say, help me in this. I live in a broken body. I live in a broken world, and I can take my emotions to him, and he will help me because he understands. Now, something that is uh, also was very, like, wow— Jesus also experienced the most extreme emotion, so we never have to. He sat in a garden, and he wept, and he sweated blood because he didn't want to be separated from the Father. And because Jesus came, we never have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God thinks that's really powerful. He all, I mean, and there are some people I know who have lived some depth of emotions, but that we never have to go to the most extreme emotion because of what he did for us. And so there is hope. There's hope for all of us who have these emotions. And so our emotions are corrupted by sin, whether it's unbelief, selfishness, impatience, pride, whatever it is, we are susceptible to the influence because of the fall. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, ladies, number... What number is it on your paper? Number two on your paper is our emotions are a gift. They're a gift from the Lord for connection with him and connection with others. We aren't robots. If you look at a flower, you cannot connect with that flower. A dog, well, there's a little bit of an argument on how much you can, I mean, like, dogs have emotions, which I think is, some of you crazy, but they feel what you're feeling, is what I would say, okay? So you can connect with a dog, but different. Y'all are not talking back and forth. If you can do that, we should have other conversations. But y'all, emotions connect us. If you go to your friend, if you come to me and say, hey, Suzanne, how are you feeling? I go, I'm okay. Are are we going anywhere with that? I'm fine. How many of y'all say that all the time? I'm fine. Okay. Y'all, that doesn't help connection. So our emotions help us connect with each other. And so they're also a gift for his glory. So Romans 11, 36, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Everything, including our emotions. First Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. The world tells you, just suck it up. Just feel what you want to feel. And I'm telling you, God has a different plan for those emotions that he gave you. And so you're going to go to table time right now. And you're going to talk about what were you taught about emotions. Number two, how do you feel about them? Do you think they're a gift or a curse? Minus what I just told you is the answer. And three, am I in touch with my emotions? Which one are you? Are you a stuffer? Are you a junkie? Where do you fall on the continuum of those three things? Okay? Talk amongst yourselves. All right. The part that we're about to launch into is probably the more heady part. And so, ah, forgive me now for the fire hydrant that's about to come your way. All right, the third thing that you can write on your paper is that emotions are gauges, not guides. So gauges, think about the, the 
all those things on your dashboard in your car. If your thing says it's about to be empty, your little fuel gauge starts saying it's empty, you know you need to do something about it. If you're going 70 miles an hour, my car will actually blink red if I'm going over the supposed speed limit. And so you need to slow down or you just keep going and risk getting a ticket. It's up to you. All right, so our emotions are gauges. And what those gauges tell us, our emotions tell us what we believe about God and what we believe about the world. And so here's what I want to say. I'm not talking about the emotion when you walk towards the door and you kick it with your toe in the pain and you cry. It's not the emotion I'm talking about. That's just reality. You kicked your toe. It's your body's telling you something. It is a gauge. You are now feeling pain. Okay. But what I'm about to talk about is not that kind of emotion. I'm talking about the emotion that when that door gets slammed in your face by your friend and you have a really strong emotion towards that, that's the emotion that we're talking about. Okay. So they tell you what you believe about God and what you believe about life. In doing all this research, I found this article, and it's on your resources page. So all these things is all the places we think will be helpful for you, things we read, things we listen to, all the things. Uh, but I found this PDF, so it's the one that I think says paper. It says, Why does the, what does the Bible teach us about our emotions and learning the ABCs of emotional intelligence? And we took some of his information and what, like massaged it with a whole bunch of other things. But these next couple of things were something that he had written out in his. So here's what I want you to picture. It's the math, so sorry. Okay, first one I want you to picture. So, and it's an external situation, plus your internal belief is your emotional response, okay? So if you have a negative situation and you go with an unbiblical belief, then you will have a sinful, painful emotion. So remember, painful and pleasure, you're kind of too extreme. So I'm gonna give you a scenario. Your husband, is. you just had a situation with your daughter named Sally. And your husband looks at you at the end of that and he says, you just blew it. Okay, that's a negative situation. Not feeling so great about that. Okay, if you have an unbiblical belief, so if you have a fear of man, and that's a sin that grips your heart, and you believe, I must have my husband's approval, then you will more likely have an emotional response that is sinful and painful with uncontrolled anger, depression to the point of despair, hopelessness, or hatred. Y'all following me? Okay, next, negative situation, but you have a biblical belief, you'll have a holy, painful emotion. So your husband just says, hey, you blew it. Hey, I enjoy my husband's approval, but I don't need it. I know that in Christ, I'm accepted by God. Then your response will be a painful emotion, but it will be holy, such as sorrow, disappointment, or remorse if you were truly wrong. Okay, so y'all see how that's different? If I believe God's truth, I'm going to respond differently to the exact same situation. Okay, it might also be true that when you look at your husband and you go, I know my husband loves me, and so what I'm hearing from him, I'm okay, because I know he loves me. He's trying to help me get better. Here's what I want to tell you. Be sure that you go even past that and that you're building your foundation on truth of God's word. Your husband can actually be steering you towards ungodly things. Okay, his approval, and you start getting, hey, he loves me, I trust what he's saying. If you're not backing that up and filtering that through God's word, your husband can actually lead you towards sinful things. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. All right, so the next equation is you have a positive situation and an unbiblical belief. You'll have a sinful, pleasant emotion, which some people are like, wait, you can have a sinful, pleasant emotion? Yeah, so let's just say at the end of what just happened with Sally, he looked at you and said, honey, you did a really great job with that. If you live for the praise of your husband, then you might experience a sinful, pleasant emotion like pride or arrogance. Okay, so we can actually have pleasant emotions that are leading us straight to death. 
Pornography gives a pleasant emotion. Pornography will kill you. Okay, so don't just think, hey, I'm happy, so everything's fine. We have got to keep going back to God's truth and our emotions and being sure that what we're running towards is what God intended for us to run towards. All right, so positive situation, biblical belief, holy, pleasant emotion. So your husband says you did a great job. I live for the audience of one, Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that my actions glorified my heavenly father. You then would experience pleasant, holy emotion like peace, joy, and contentment. Okay, so we have to work really, really hard to know what our filter is that things are being filtered through. Because when things happen in our life, that our filter is what's going to impact the emotions that will come out of us. You can actually change your emotions based on what you believe. Okay, so events determine whether emotions are pleasant or painful, but our beliefs determine whether our emotional reactions are holy or sinful. Now, we're going to do the ABCDs of emotional health. Bruce also said this was horrible. He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, but I can, and I'm going to. So, ABCD, apostrophe S, yes, the S has one, but I think again, it's sticky. You're going to remember it. Okay, so ABCDs. Number one, you have to admit and identify. Some of you, this is where you're stuck, is you're not even willing to admit that you have emotions. You want to be all put together and fine, and so you don't even admit the fact that you're having this really deep emotion that's impacting you. So again, God made us to have these. So you have to work to admit and identify that you're having them. When you walked in, you got some resources, okay? This, y'all, our culture is really funny because we're actually identifying our emotions a little bit more because of these little things that are on our phones. We actually send people, this is how I'm feeling. David Marvin told the story, he's like, but it's funny, we even send things that we're not actually doing. How many of y'all are actually tears running down your face when you're laughing when you send that laugh cry emoji? Me, pretty much never. And so, but it's how I think I should be responding to it, and so I send it, okay? But we are being actually a little bit more in tune with how we're feeling, and we're being a little bit more, but we also hide behind that. And so this isn't your only source, but we did this for your kids. That's who this is really for. And so helping them identify how they're feeling. You're going to hear more about that from Lee, but I wanted you to know that's what that is. And you might need to use it. I used it with a bunch of my uh, coworkers yesterday um, in different situations. Okay, so this other one is we have this wheel of emotions. We took this from this website at the bottom. That website is about, um, like trying to cure the world of sexual abuse so you don't need to go there. It's like, it's not a bad site, but it just has nothing to do with this other than they have this great wheel that we really liked for your kids because it's more simple. On the back is the mother of wheels for you, okay? This one is like legit find some emotions, okay? Ladies, emotional intelligence is knowing what's going on in your body, is knowing what's happening, is understanding my body's trying to tell me something. There are people I know who have stuffed their emotions and have become physically sick. Physically sick and gone to the hospital to see the doctor going, something is terribly wrong with me. And the doctor finally looks at them and says, because you don't deal with your emotions. Your body is fighting back. Okay, you've got to learn to put words to how you're feeling. You've got to recognize it. I can tell you right now, these two little dots on my forehead, known as pimples, are because I've been stressed. And I knew it this morning. I was like, you're telling me I've been stressed. And I have felt stressed. You know, we've got to pay attention to our bodies. God created our bodies to be seriously amazing if we will let them function in the way that he intended them to function. So practice this. Next time you're in a conversation with somebody, dig it out. Go to the outer wheel. Don't stay in here in the little center wheel of, I'm happy, I'm sad. Get some 
you know, robust into your vocabulary. All right, next, ladies. Um, be honest with the Lord and others is your B on there. So be honest about your emotions. When we are honest, it moves us towards the Lord and it moves us towards each other. David in the scripture and the Psalms, all those people were really honest. But what you see is it moved them towards the Lord and their honesty. Like I said earlier, if you walk up to me and you say, Suzanne, how are you? And I say, I'm fine. We have no more conversation to have. But if I say, man, I've had a really tough week. I'm really tired. We have more to discuss. It's going to pull us towards each other. Again, moving us to relationship with others. You've got to be honest, journal, pray, pour out your heart to the Lord. Authenticity will draw us to each other. If you go to the doctor and you say, hey, doc, I've got this little thing on my arm. It just kind of hurts. But your leg is broken and he just treats this and doesn't treat this. You have not allowed that doctor to do all he can do for you. So you've got to be open and honest about how you're feeling with people so people can help you, the Lord can help you, and you're moving towards health when you do that. Courageously face and feel is the C. If you're a stuffer, you don't even want to face you have them. You want to ignore them. It takes courage to say, I don't feel great. It even sometimes takes courage to say, I feel joy. Because other people in your life are struggling, and so you're like, I don't even know if I want to be honest and I'm ha- that I'm doing well. You know, we've got to be courageous in how we feel, and we've got to learn to face those feelings so that we can do with them what God intended them to do, and they can work in our lives the way God intended for them to work. Now, we've said they are a gauge for you to determine what you believe. That's the D. Determine what you believe. You've got to do the work to figure out if you're believing truth or lies, okay? If you just go, uh, I'm trying to think of a really great example. I've been single for a really, really long time. From what I can tell, it's probably going to be the extent of my story. I told myself probably up until I was about 28, I'm totally going to get married. God promised me that, like I'm going to get married, okay? I felt okay about my singleness, because I believed God was going to give me that. The closer I got and the older I've gotten, <laughs> the more I got to ice is not feeling like he's going to give this to me. I then my emotions changed about that. And all of a sudden I'm crushed. And I'm like, but you promised. And it's like, did I? <laughs> so I had to go back, check my belief with God's truth. And I realized he didn't promise me that. He promised me to give me what was good. He promised to give me what was best but he didn't promise me the thing I was holding on to. And so if our emotions are geared towards a lie, we are going to be crushed. And so what I want you to see the other sheet that I gave you. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. And maybe I didn't even actually pick. Oh, there it is. This thing right here. I know it's a little crazy looking, but really quickly, this is you. If you're leaving, if you feel any of these over here, if you're isolating, you're worried, you're controlled, depression, fear, managing self-obsession, you are probably believing lies. If you want to change them to truth. You need to ask yourself these questions in the middle and you need to move yourself towards God's truth because God's truth promises us these things. He promises us peace. He promises us joy, rest, hope, and freedom when we trust him and believe truth. Y'all, he set this thing up pretty phenomenally. When we actually submit our lives to him, it really works. I'm a living testament. I am okay in my singleness. I am living an amazing life. I've gotten to do amazing things. And people are like, that sounds really foreign. And I'm like, it is foreign because it's not what the world tells us is okay. 
But God tells us it's okay because I believe him. I believe he's enough. And he is enough for you in exactly where you are, but you've got to know his truth. And if you're not diving in and building that foundation, your emotions, you're going to end up either constipated or a junkie because you can't, you can't handle it, but you can handle it with him. So, uh, S, A, B, C, D is, uh, is submit to truth. So they shouldn't be your guide. Your emotions should not be the things that you follow, but you should follow God's truth. So we need to learn to submit our beliefs to God's authority, his holiness, and his goodness. So something else that I, in all this studying, that kind of messed with me a little bit is the fact that God commands us to have emotions. That feels crazy. But when you think about it, love the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, hope in the Lord, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Fear not, for I am with you. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. God commands us to have emotions. And so to have the emotions he intended for us to have, we've got to submit and yield to his authority. Now, this is where the barrage of verses is coming. So just get ready. This is where the really ugly uh, slides are going to come because there's a lot of words on some of the pages, but it's all right in front of you, so you don't even have to look at those. Okay, Romans 6, 11 through 14. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. You use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for his glory. And so, ladies, when we take our emotions and we submit them to his authority— and don't just live by the flesh, but we live by the Spirit, it's going to give you the ability to glory, glorify and honor the Lord with your body. Galatians 5, 16 through 24, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. And if you look, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, kind of all those emotions that we would put in the category of simple. Okay, he says, I give you the ability to have what he has. So if we want to walk in a way that honors the Lord, we have to do the fruits of the spirit, which is the end of that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And I thought this was really cool. One of the articles that we read had next to it what the opposite, like the opposite or the sinful fleshly emotion. And then when we walk in the spirit. Now you might have the emotion, like you might have the, I do not like you right now feeling. But what we do with that, if I then go back and I'm reminded, God says, love my enemy. If I go back and remind, he says he's going to give me what I need. Second uh, Peter 1, 3 says, by his divine power, God has given you everything you need to live a guy life. So it's possible, but it's only possible when we're trusting him. You cannot make this stuff up. You can't make it happen. If you're trying to love others in your own power and strength, you will shrivel and it, you'll flare out. Like you just can't do it. You cannot do it. Second Corinthians 10, three and six says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage world as wage war. Sorry. As the world does, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take this verse a little bit out of context. Paul was actually talking about taking other people's thoughts captive. So he was talking about the people that he was writing to. He was saying they are believing things outside of what God intended them to believe. And we are going to go there and demolish those strongholds and what's keeping them captive. Now, the, the idea is still the same. We, anything that sets itself up against the Lord, we need to take captive. 
Okay, and so that, but that takes us knowing God's truth. So Joshua 1a, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Ladies, if you are not spending time in God's word, you will not be able to do this. You cannot glorify God if you are not spending time in his word, knowing what the truth is and moving it, it becoming your filter for life. Now, I know it's not easy when you've got four kids pulling on you and dragging you and the next poopy diaper, all the things like this is just, you're like, how? But I implore you do something. If it's just, I found out you can listen to the journey on your phone. Did y'all know that? You can just set the set it right there and it will read God's word to you. Just hit the little button. Okay. If that's what you do every day while you're making lunches, getting breakfast ready, while you're nursing, whatever you're doing, play God's word. Just listen to the journey. It will speak his word into you and you will be getting his truth. Okay, do something to immerse yourself in God's word. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God. So when we've got to present our bodies, including our emotions, to God to let him move in us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove the will of God is that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I think God takes this really seriously. He cares about our emotions, and he cares that we're submitting them to his truth. Okay, skip Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Y'all can read that one later. Psalm 42, 5 and 6, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? So in scripture, we see the psalmist is feeling it. This is where I go. Anytime I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Flip your Psalms open. There's going to be one you can find real fast. Somebody that's feeling what you feel. But hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you. Lamentations 3, 20 and 24. My soul continually remembers my affliction and my wanderings and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So ladies, we have to preach to ourselves. Paul Tripp says, you preach the gospel to yourself more than anybody else. And if you don't have the gospel right, in your head and you're preaching to yourself lies, you will function in a way that is not healthy. So I encourage you, know truth, figure it out. What is it that I'm believing? And then take it back to God's word and compare it and go, is this really what God says? Get people in your life to help you do that. Say out loud, this is what I'm believing, which sometimes is really scary. This is what I'm believing, but I'm telling you, if you will get it out Put it in the light and let other people help you walk through that and find what's true. There's freedom. But when we trap that stuff in our heads, I am, I tell women all the time, there's nothing you can say I haven't heard before. And I've yet to be shocked. And two, if you keep it in there, it's going to eat your lunch. Get it in the light and be free. That is, that is the place that Satan has the greatest hold in women's lives is in our emotions and keeping our thoughts inside. Get them out there. Share it with each other. All right, now you got a chance to do that because we're going to have some table time.
So one, two, and three, how do I handle my emotions? So what's your typical MO, which is similar? Like, how do you feel about your emotions? Does that make sense? Like, how do, what do I do with them typically? How do I handle others' emotions? So how do you feel when other people emote? Okay, because that's both of them. And then number three, how do you feel about the truth that God commands us to have them and calls us to control them? Talk amongst yourselves. Hey guys, we are going to go to part two of today's uh, talk. Um, to be totally transparent where I am right now, you know that gif on your phone with Raven Simone where she's chewing her gum and she's like, that's me right now. Well, guys, my name is Lee Singer and I serve on the Nest Leadership Team. Um, my husband Jeff and I have been married for 26 years. We have a 20-year-old son, Drew, who is a sophomore in college, and an 18-year-old daughter, Beth, who is a senior in high school. We have been members at Watermark for 13 years. I've served in leadership with The Nest, Square One, and Regeneration, and was also on staff for four years leading starting blocks here in Dallas. I am not a licensed professional counselor, uh, and I do not have a doctorate in emotion management. Uh, I am a fellow sister in Christ who is here today to share what the Lord has been teaching me about emotional health. I became a believer 17 years ago, and at that time, if someone asked me whether I knew how to read and process my emotions, I would have said, sure. But in reality, I didn't know what I didn't know. If someone asked how I was personally doing, I would have said, fine, okay, or good. But I didn't have the emotional vocabulary or skills to tell people how I really felt. I didn't take time to sit in hard emotions like sadness and anger to move past them in a healthy way. Growing up, I didn't talk much about how I really felt. Like a pressure cooker, once my feelings reached a critical point, I would scream and yell to release my painful emotions with no real processing. I would just let it out and move on. As I entered marriage and parenting, this left me largely lacking in my emotional awareness and my wellness. When I became a parent, I was overwhelmed. I was weary and I felt very unqualified to parent. While I was intentional in discipling our kids, in loving them well, and in living in authentic community, our lives were very busy, running around from church to soccer to art class. I didn't create space in our schedules to help myself or my kids sit in and process their feelings. I received my children's strong emotions and behaviors with poor skills, offering phrases like, you're okay, or I believe in you, or you can do it which showed little empathy and not a lot of validation. I sought to be consistently encouraging, and my intentions were really good. However, despite doing a lot of good things to bless our kids in their development, my modeling and my teaching of emotional health fell short. Alongside that season with my children, I personally struggled with the demands of parenting two preschoolers while my husband was managing a successful banking career, traveling often. My emotions became overwhelming, and I used food, shopping, anger, and control to cope. Around that time, I became a believer, and we left our old church of 20 years to come to Watermark. Not long after joining, I started attending Celebrate Recovery, which helped me to see how I was seeking value and comfort in things other than Christ. It was there that my filter started to change, and I was able to start processing my emotions with the truth of God's Word. God then built on that emotion education over the next 12 years, using things like re-engage, Christian counseling, and regeneration to keep revealing lies that I believed and where I was placing my value and hope in other people and in the world. 
With my family's permission, I am here to share what the Lord was preparing me for in all of that when our family life turned upside down two years ago. Our daughter, who was 16 at the time, reached an emotional crisis, experiencing crippling anxiety, despair, and depression that affected her ability to attend school and even function on a daily basis. As a parent, I felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me as I struggled to get answers of how we got here while also trying to love and equip my child in her struggle. What I'm about to share with you is what God has taught me both over the years and most recently about emotional health. If we aren't doing the work to guide our emotions, they will guide us. My family focused on five key areas to take ground on the emotional health in our home, and I stand here today with a deeper relationship with the Lord, a better marriage, and a more connected relationship with my children because of it. Regardless of your experience and personality, evaluating these five areas can significantly benefit the emotional health of your home. Those five areas are your own emotional health, expand your emotional vocabulary, practice empathy and validation, evaluate your home environment and pace of life, and practice healthy coping skills. Just a quick note before we start, a lot of my references about emotions relate to when we or our kids have strong emotions that become overwhelming and we get stuck. Seeds of dysfunction can grow when painful emotions are ignored or processed in an unhealthy way. So with that, let's begin with your own emotional health. What we all experience growing up and in our adult life creates what we consider normal. But that normal can be unhealthy or even dysfunctional. As I mentioned earlier, I didn't know what I didn't know about my own emotional health. While I did a lot of right things in seeking the Lord and trying to honor Him in all parts of my life, I didn't realize that the way I identified and processed my emotions carried some dysfunction. While I could generally tell you how I felt, even in my strongest emotions, I wasn't able to sit through the discomfort and pain of them. When I got angry as a young adult, instead of identifying and processing my feelings in a situation, I would stuff them by eating a sleeve of Oreos or going on a shopping spree. Or if I let them fester long enough, they would come out later by me yelling at someone about a topic completely unrelated. As I aged, I found that when my emotions ran strong, my discomfort and pain would instead channel into bitterness towards others' negative behavior, and I would be critical of others in conflict or difficult situations. This hindered my ability to communicate well with others and resolve conflict effectively, especially in my marriage. Most importantly, it hindered my ability to fully connect with God. So as we get real today and consider our own emotional health, I have some hard questions that I had to ask myself that I would encourage you to ponder and journal about in a quiet time this next week. One, do I really know how to identify my emotions? And more importantly, sit in and process those hard feelings in a healthy way. Do I escape from processing and feeling my emotions on a regular basis with food? Isolating, shopping, social media, alcohol, pornography, cutting, or other unhealthy coping. Two, does my spouse really know how I feel? Have we cultivated a safe space for us to openly share our feelings with one, to meet one another with compassion and without judgment? Do we help each other process our feelings with a backdrop of truth from God's word? Three, 
Do I have community around me that really knows what's going on in my life? Am I ruthlessly honest and raw with them about my feelings, or do I manage information? Do I have a support system I can turn to when I am overwhelmed and burdened? Do I have people that will help me process my feelings with the filter of God's word? These reflection questions are not meant to make you feel overwhelmed. They are meant to be useful as you prayerfully self-reflect and consider your own emotional health. If you are in a place of significant struggle today, please tell your table leader. We are here to pray with you, encourage you, point you to the Lord, and resources to help. Programs like Regeneration are great at helping us deal with our past, our hurts, and our hang-ups, which can be huge drivers to poor coping skills and ineffective emotion management. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. As we said earlier, emotions are a gauge for what we believe and value. If we have misguided emotions that are reigning over our thought life, then we are allowing these feelings to weigh greater in our souls than the power and truth of God. The bandwidth to know and trust God with our feelings takes time, prayer, and practice, both for us and our kids. We must pray for wisdom to discern what we personally need in the area of emotional health so, we, so that we, in turn, can model that emotional wellness to our kids. Expanding your emotional vocabulary. Building an effective emotional vocabulary provides the clear language needed for us and our kids to be fully seen, heard, and understood. In order to move through our feelings, we have to name them first. Often people think they have a broad emotional vocabulary, but in fact, they don't contemplate how they are actually feeling nor use words to most accurately describe them. In the past, I used the standard repertoire of emotion words such as happy, sad, angry, and my personal favorite, frustrated. Now I use more descriptive words like excited, irritated, hopeful, and inadequate. Tools such as the feelings wheel that Suze was showing you earlier are super helpful in expanding your and your kids' emotional vocabulary. God gave us a wide and rich span of emotions. Let's not sell him short or ourselves short by not using the best words to describe how we feel. When I first started expanding my emotional vocabulary with a feelings wheel, it was hard. I was so used to ignoring my own feelings and just powering through the day that I had to carve out time just to sit and listen to my heart and feel. Sometimes I would sit during my quiet time and study the words before I needed them. I put a copy of the wheel on my phone so that I could practice labeling my emotions better in the moments that I had them. When I experience strong emotions now, I quickly assess if I can talk about my feelings real time or if I need to take more time away to process them. Using the right words to tell ourselves, the Lord, and others how we feel is the best way of being understood as we also process our emotions with the filter of God's truth. I have found that I'm able to communicate more clearly and am received by others more effectively now that I have a broader emotional vocabulary. Also in our group of resources today, Sue's just showing you an emoji chart that puts faces with a variety of different emotions. Just like we teach our kids to name their eyes, nose, ears, and other body parts, it's important to give children a working vocabulary to communicate their emotions. That way, when there are strong emotions to process, our kids can either point to those faces on the chart, or they can say, I'm disappointed, or I'm angry, and start the process of moving through those feelings. I'd encourage you to sit down with your kids and talk about 
all the feelings. At dinner time, each person could pick one emotion to role play each night, and then everyone talk about what that emotion really means. On our notes of resources, uh, we also have a list that includes some YouTubes that you can watch with your kids to start identifying feelings with more accurate words. And depending on the age of your children, feel free to go online and research other emoji charts and feelings wheels that meet the age and stage that you're at. We're not going to talk about practicing empathy and validation. I noticed that when our family's emotional vocabulary expanded, it was even more important to be open and ready to receive what each other was saying. As I started to practice more empathy and validation in my home, I found that I needed to take greater care with my demeanor, with my approach, and with the words that I used. To truly meet my daughter Beth where she was and her painful emotions, I needed to often say nothing at all. And when I did speak, I needed to be calm and quiet, receiving her without judgment and with compassion so that she felt valued, accepted, and seen. If we don't meet our kids where they are and we deny or dismiss their feelings, we can unknowingly heap shame on them And if done often, kids begin to invalidate themselves, dismissing their own feelings and experiences. This keeps kids from processing their emotions in a healthy way and is a missed opportunity to connect with your child, reminding them of their value and their identity in Christ. Empathy is defined as the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Empathy is not sympathy. It is connecting with that part of ourselves that knows the feeling the other person is experiencing so that they can be seen, heard, and understood. Based upon personality, some folks are more naturally empathetic, while others are less. The good news is that empathy is a skill that can be taught. To help you get a clear picture of what empathy is, we are going to watch this two-minute video. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is... Ooh, it's bad, uh huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage 
at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. This reminds me of Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. In meeting someone where they are, we are given the opportunity and the gift to be that calm, loving connection, not having to have all the answers and not having to say something fabulously amazing. We just have to be still and present for others to make real connection. What this has meant in my life is maintaining control of my own emotions so that my husband and my kids have the personal space to feel. It means being quiet and sitting in both the easy and hard places of life with my loved one. In challenging times, it means I have to be able to withstand the discomfort of others without trying to fix, rescue, or reject what they are feeling. Empathy and validation affect our mindset as well. As mentioned in the video, empathy is perspective taking, walking in someone else's shoes, being curious, and asking questions. Validation is the process of actively learning about, un, about and understanding and then expressing acceptance of another person's emotional experience. It's acknowledging what someone is saying to you so that they know you understand where they're coming from. Now, that doesn't mean you have to agree with what they're saying. For example, in a fit of anger, one of my kids might have said to me, you're the worst mom ever. And it wasn't for me to say, why, yes, honey, you are right. (laughs) But what I would say is, hey, I can totally understand how you would feel that way right now uh, because you've lost your privilege. And that is really tough. And once my teenager was acknowledged and felt heard, I could then go back to them later and talk to them about better ways to express their anger. There are pitfalls to avoid when receiving a child's emotions and trying to validate and be empathetic, and I have fallen into every single one of these. First of all, too many words. Sometimes when we don't know what to do and we feel uncomfortable ourselves, we start to talk to fill the silence. I used to do this a lot, and I've had to work over time to keep my mouth shut. In this space, less is more. It is okay to wait for a few seconds to pray and then respond. You can always smile, sit, hug and say, I see you and I am here for you. Ask the Lord for wisdom in those moments. Another pitfall is positive invalidation. When a kid is trying to figure out their painful feelings, as parents, we often have a desire to make things better. As a recovering fixer, I always wanted to say something positive. And as Brene Brown said in the video, put a silver lining around the situation. Unfortunately, positive invalidation glosses over a child's emotions and doesn't reach the heart of what a kid is feeling. Using phrases like, you're okay, 
or it's all right, or you're going to be fine, or even you can do it. Don't allow a child to be truly seen and understood. The reason this is a big deal is that if we don't validate well, at some point along the way, kids may begin the process of self-invalidation, where they ignore their own feelings and think that what they feel is unimportant, which can lead to dysfunction. So when you're in these situations, think of different ways you can tell your child, I see you. When my daughter would get emotional, I would say, I see you feel strongly about this. And then I would give her time and space to fully share so that I could empathize and validate where she was. The last pitfall is not taking things personally. Because we care deeply and and love our people so much, sometimes we can reverberate off of others' strong emotions. It's important not to personalize what others are feeling and experiencing. It took me a long time to learn this skill, as I used to struggle with separating other people's emotions from my own. When Beth grew anxious, I used to become anxious, which then became a self-perpetuating cycle. Now instead, I keep myself from personally engaging when she gets upset, not letting her feelings affect mine. This allows Beth to be fully seen, and I can meet her where she is. Our fourth area is to evaluate your home environment and pace of life. David Peniel, director of students at Watermark, recently shared at the parenting conversations discussion on anxiety, how often students don't have a safe and trusted environment at home to share how they feel. There isn't enough time for quality conversation, or the reaction kids get from parents when they do share makes them look elsewhere for a listening ear and a soft place to land. In my own journey to create a safe space at home, I think at times I wasn't in touch enough with my own emotions, so that when my kids started to share, I reacted too much, asked too many questions, and responded with biblical truth too soon instead of just listening. Start building a trusted space early by being calm and in touch with your own emotions so that your child has a welcome, open environment to share and process their feelings. This starts with simply observing and acknowledging where your child is before responding to them. 2 Corinthians 5.20 reminds us that we are Christ's ambassadors I think the way Paul Tripp writes about that verse provides a great picture for how we should come alongside our kids in creating an emotionally healthy home environment. You are the look on Christ's face. You are the tone of his voice. You are the touch of his hands. You are the physical representative of his grace. Creating a trusted environment for emotions also takes time. As I mentioned before, our family ran a pretty busy schedule from preschool all the way into high school. Several years ago, we chose to significantly slow down, removing one sport, art class, and deciding not to participate in every single school and church event available to us. With today's society running at such a fast pace, especially in middle and high school years, as parents, we have to guard our schedules vigilantly to provide the physical and emotional space to both equip and receive our kids and their emotions. Invariably, it will be at the most inconvenient of times and places when strong emotions occur and important conversations need to be had. Sometimes the scheduled plan will need to change. I implore you to take those extra few minutes. Make that extra time, even if it means missing an event or activity. The upfront investment of time to connect with your child and equip them emotionally will pay great dividends in the future. 
As is often the case, the enemy uses fear against us. We often fear our kids' strong emotions. Because of our own journey with emotions, we avoid, clam up, don't respond, or, or we attempt to control the situation. It's super important to consider how we view and respond to strong emotions. Do you get anxious when your kids get upset? Do you need to become more skilled and effective with managing your own emotions? If so, I encourage you to pray about it. Talk to community and consider whether the Lord may be calling you to do some more work on your emotions through regeneration or Christian counseling. Last, we're going to talk about practicing healthy coping skills. It's important to consider the many influencers of emotions. Often kids experience strong emotions due to environmental and physical factors. Is your child getting enough sleep? Are they eating the right foods? Are you in a more emotional season of life like toddlerhood or the tween teen years? Are there stressful life situations such as illness, family discord, a house move, a new baby, a death in the family, or a traumatic event? It is important to look at everything a child is experiencing to provide context for the emotions you are seeing so that you can effectively meet them where they are and help them cope. There are things we can do ahead of time to improve emotional regulation and create resilience so that when painful emotions come, they can be handled and processed more effectively. Great ways to cope ahead can be easily remembered through the DBT acronym PLEASE which we've modified a bit to make it easier to remember. Treat physical illness. Do what you can to keep yourself well. If you are chemically imbalanced, your hormones are off, or you have other illnesses or conditions, this is when you should seek medical attention. Liquid, drink water. Hydration is super important every day. Balanced eating. Eating enough calories and healthy food is key. Avoid mood-altering substances. Be particularly aware of your caffeine intake, and adults should watch alcohol and drug use or misuse. Balance sleep. Have a consistent schedule to get enough sleep. Get exercise. Do some sort of exercise every day, and try as you can to include daily moments of deep breathing to clear your head and your mind. In our family, we have found that getting more sleep, eating a consistently healthy diet, Exercising regularly and drinking lots and lots of water uh, has been most helpful in all of us coping ahead with our emotions. As you learn your kids' emotional triggers, it will be helpful to have some tools on hand. Today, we have a handout for you called Calming Choices to provide a variety of options to self-calm so that you and your kids can move through emotions more skillfully in the moment and then rationally process emotions with truth. We use these skills every day at our house, and they are really helpful. Consider setting up a soothing corner in your home with things like soft blankets, pillows, cozy books, aromatherapy putty, and stress balls. Find things that soothe the senses and help get out strong emotional energy. Study yourself and your kids to see what your sensory needs are to find some favorite go-to items. My daughter's favorites are popping bubble wrap and tossing a ball in the air that lights up in lots of colors. My favorite go-tos are chewing gum, deep breathing, and journaling my feelings. Having a mobile soothing box for the car or a pouch in your purse is also really useful. Keep them filled with a few small things like bubbles to blow, silly putty, a squeeze ball, paper and pens for doodling, 
rubber bands to stretch, and if allowed, things like gum and spicy or tart candy, which can be a tasty sensory distraction. As a final exercise and to truly walk the walk, I have to be honest with you. I have a lot of emotions being up here speaking to you guys today. First of all, I'm scared. It's hard to be so vulnerable sitting on this stage and sharing such a personal story, especially when there are parts that aren't pretty. Yet, in my fear, I remember Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord will go with you wherever you go. Secondly, I'm embarrassed. While I've done a lot of good things as a parent, I didn't think I would be doing work on emotional health with a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old in my house. I've had to process a lot of guilt and shame over what I didn't know and didn't do in the younger years. That said, parenting is a process, and course corrections just come with the territory. God knew this would be my family's journey, and I know that he loves my family and me more than I could imagine. And how I respond to that is Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am being so honest with you today about my journey and my own feelings today because one, we have an epidemic in this country where countless parents and kids are struggling with anxiety, depression, and suicide in record numbers. We have to be more courageous and brave to talk about emotional health in new ways so that as parents and kids, we can all be moving forward in greater wellness and encouraging each other in Christ. Two, my hope is that the story God has been writing in my life and the life of my family will be used for his glory, my good, and if it's his plan, for the benefit of others. And three, in this ministry, my heart is for us to have a more open dialogue about emotional health. This needs to be a safe place for all of us to come and say, hey, this is really hard for me right now, so that we can pray for you, support you, and point you to Christ and resources that can help. Finally, I am excited and hopeful. The Lord has made emotional health a part of my story so that I can encourage others to dig into their feelings, use tools to move through them better, and filter them with God's truth. I hope and pray you find this useful as God is working in your home, your heart, and the hearts of your kids. Despite real hardship over the past few years, I sit here today with a richer relationship with the Lord, a better marriage than I've ever had, and a family life that is healthier because of how the Lord has challenged us to look at our emotional health. Our daughter Beth has made tremendous strides in managing her anxiety. She is currently a high school senior who is working hard to graduate and prepare herself for college. Beth has demonstrated great courage and transparency about her anxiety struggles with her classmates and friends, encouraging them in their own personal journey towards better emotional health. She was so supportive in me sharing our journey with you today. Our mutual hope and prayer is that this testimony will be an encouragement to you as we all seek to honor the Lord through how we steward our emotions and love one another as we process them. And to that I proclaim Psalm 75.1. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. Men tell of your wonderful deeds. We're going to spend the last few minutes together in table time to give you guys a chance to discuss some final questions. 
One, which of the three pitfalls do you fall into most? And two, which of the five areas are you going to focus on to take ground in your family's emotional health? If this talk really resonated with you today, or you are truly struggling, please tell your table leader or come find one of us after. We are here as a ministry to encourage and support you and your family in the area of emotional health. We are grateful for the chance to share with y'all today.